Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, January 15th, 2022, from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I'm going to start with a question. This is a question for you to answer out loud. It's not rhetorical. Answer with your mouth if you have a good answer for it. Um, Does anybody have a person in your life who is just so easy to love you'd never have had to try? Like just, they're just lovable, they're so adorable and wonderful and precious that if you didn't love them, you would automatically kind of be history's greatest monster or something, right? (laughs) You've got somebody in your life like that, right? Like you just can't help it, you love them. If you didn't want to, you would still love them. Okay, I think you know where this is going. Does anybody have somebody in your life who like is super duper hard for you to love? (laughs) Like you don't know what you would have to do to love this person. Like you'd rather sign up for one of those like, like there's a, there's a race called the Yukon 400. It's a 400 mile ultra marathon. You're like, I'd rather do that than try to figure out what it would take to love this person. We've all probably got those people. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to get into all of that today. All right, so for the month of January, we are canceling New Year's resolutions. Is anybody happy about that? Anybody happy? Some of y'all are like, I like New Year's resolutions. Keep it to yourself. We don't care. We don't care. Here's the thing. We're canceling New Year's resolutions because resolutions depend on two things, and they are about two things, which is they are about control and they are about willpower, and you don't have either one of those very much, and neither do I. I'm not pointing my finger at you. We just don't have a whole lot of control or willpower. So we're not doing the New Year's resolutions. In the month of January, we're looking in the scriptures at New Year's benedictions, okay? A benediction is a blessing. It's a prayer about what we hope God does for you. So can anybody use some good news like that? This is what we're looking at in the month of January. What are prayers of blessing? Benediction is a word that means the good speech, the good, beautiful words. What are the beautiful words about something that God could do for you this year? This is not you changing your life or fixing yourself. This is God getting after it for you on your behalf. All right. So we're going to look at, Renee already read this for us, but we're going to, am I going to be able to get these out? There we go. We're going to look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here we go. I'm going to read it again. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. All right. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be holy and blameless in the presence of our God and Father and when our Lord Jesus comes for you with all of his holy ones. It's a really cool prayer. It's a cool benediction. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't want you to think that the heavy lifting of loving hard people to love is on you. I'm asking God that he'll do it for you. And that sounds pretty good, right? If God can do something for me, wait, hold on. That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, that, that God would do something for me that I can't do for myself necessarily or that I'm not interested in doing for myself or I just don't really want to do for myself, which is love difficult people to love. So before we get into any of this and how it works, 
Let's talk about why Paul said this in the first place. What's actually going on? Why did the Apostle Paul write the book of 1 Thessalonians? Who were these people, and why would he say this? Okay, so let's go back even further than that. Let's just make sure everybody's on the same page. Everybody in here is at a different place in your kind of journey with the Scripture or with Jesus. So let's start here. Paul was a guy who was like... He was like a super duper important and, and influential and well-connected person in the Jewish religion. He was like a PhD in Bible. He had studied with the most famous, most awesome guy in the whole country. He was wealthy and well-connected, all that stuff. And when the followers of Jesus started saying that after he was crucified, that he had risen from the dead and he was in fact the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting on for thousands of years, he completely lost his mind. And he started going after them, rounding them up. He even held the coats of people who were throwing rocks at one of, their, one of their guys until he died. And then he got letters of authority so that he could actually leave Jerusalem, go into other cities, and round up and arrest their Christians. Whoever said they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, he was going to find them, he was going to lock them up, or worse. He was super fired up about it. And on his way to go do that, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and said, hey, stop it. And he was like, yes, sir, you're real. You're alive from the dead. I'm on your team now. It was just like that. It was that fast. And all of a sudden, that guy became the number one guy who was the most interested in taking that message everywhere. He got benched for a while because he was a little too much. But <laughs> once he got back in the game, he became like the, the, the first and most awesome missionary for the whole Jesus movement, taking the message of Jesus everywhere. He would go to a town, he would tell people about Jesus, they would start to believe in the Lord, they would start a little group, a little study group, small group, and then it would bloom into a church. He would teach them, he would set them up, he would get, he would get leaders in place, he would make sure everything was cool, and then he would go to the next town, and he would start it all over again. And he did this all over Greece and Turkey and all over these places, and then after he would leave a place, he would sometimes find out about them. Somebody from one of those groups would come and hang out with them and say how it's going. Or he would hear about some problem and he would write letters back to them explaining this is how you deal with that problem or here's my encouragement for you or whatever. Okay, so that's Paul. The Thessalonians were a group of people from the city of Thessaloniki, obviously, like they, that's where they were from. And he went there, he told them about Jesus, a little group started, and people started to come to know Jesus really quickly, and a church got established, like, just in a few months. It happened really, really fast. Now, the problem was, this was, like most places in the known world at that time, a Roman-occupied town. And when, they, when some people in authority found out that there was a group of people in their city who were growing and excited, who were worshiping a whole different authority than the Roman Caesar, they got into a lot of trouble. There was a huge persecution. These people started losing their jobs. They were getting kicked out of their families. Some of them were getting thrown in prison and worse. It was a really, really bad persecution. It got so bad that actually Paul and Silas had to leave. They left Timothy there. And then Timothy, at some point, came to see Paul and Silas, and he told them some amazing news. He said, guys, you're not going to believe this. In the midst of terrible persecution, in the midst of it being really dark and difficult and everything, these guys are flourishing. They are doing awesome. So sometimes when you read the letters of Paul, you read it and you're like, oh, these people are in trouble and he is going off. Like when you read the, the letter to the Galatians, you're like, he's mad and he's mad the whole time. And he's like really, really, really going off on him. This letter is sweet and it's full of encouragement. He is so excited about these folks. 
He's saying, all we hear is that you're doing it. You're doing it. Everybody is saying how much you love each other and how much you're enduring all this persecution and all this difficulty. So he wrote this letter to them to encourage them and to keep them pumped up and to keep them going in that direction. Does that all make sense? Okay, so basically what Paul is saying in the letter of 1 Thessalonians is he's saying, I want to remind you guys of something really critical that you need to keep understanding so that you can keep going. And it is this. You live at the intersection of three worlds. If you will, it's a multiverse. And you're right in there. Okay, so you live at the intersection of three worlds. You live at the intersection of the world as it is, the world as it will be, and the world as it should be with believers in Jesus in it. Okay, so this is where you are. You live at the intersection of three worlds, the world as it is, the world as it will be, and the world as it should be. Okay, I'm going to break that down a little bit, but that's kind of what 1 Thessalonians is about. Here's how you keep going. You need to hold this in your head. You live in the world as it is, and the world as it is, is it is dark, and it is scary, and it is uncertain, and it is full of pain and problems and tears and difficulty. That's where you live. You live in that world, and you should not expect it to be anything different than that. You should expect it to be dark. You should expect it to be scary and uncertain. You should expect it to be difficult. You should expect hard things to happen. And he even said at one point in this letter, he said, you're hearing that, that we're going through some difficult stuff even though we left, and you need to know, I already told you that was going to happen. We don't expect anything different than that. That's where you live, but you also live at the intersection, not only of the world the way it is, it's dark and scary and uncertain and everything, but you also live in the middle of the world as it's going to be, which is at any moment, we don't know when, but at any moment, Jesus is gonna come and take you away. That's where an amen belongs, friends. At any moment, he could show up and everything dark will be gone forever. Amen? Everything hard, everything difficult, everything uncertain, it'll be over. It'll be poof, it's gone. And you live right in the intersection of difficult, dark, and scary. And at any moment, Jesus is going to show up and you'll never have another problem again. That's awesome. At one point, he even says, we don't even need to talk about when it's going to be because I already told y'all, nobody knows. Because that, and that's why you live, and that's why your hope is set on that because you're right there at the intersection of this is hard, this is dark, this is scary, it's difficult. I never thought it was gonna be anything else, but at any moment, we could be gone. We could be gone into paradise forever. No more tears, no more problems, no more pain. That's gonna be awesome. Now, in the midst of that, the multiverse continues. Because you also live at the crux of the world as it should be with believers in Jesus in it. The world as it should be with believers in Jesus in it is a whole new element has entered the, the human situation, which is there are people walking around who have been given an amazing gift. With no effort of their own and through not deserving it at all, they have been given the charity and forgiveness of God who loves them. They never have to pay for their sins again. They never have to make it right. They never have to clean themselves up. They just get to go scot-free forever. And that is going to make them the most joyful, the most forgiving the most loving people in the history of the world. That is the world as it should be with believers in it. Now, what's really cool is when you read 1 Thessalonians, you realize they're doing it. 
He says about them, Timothy has come back and he has reported to us that you just love everybody. Like they're kicking you out of your jobs. They're kicking you out of your homes. They're rounding you up and arresting you. Your families have shown you hostility and you love everybody. Like you're famous for love. I am so thrilled when I hear about you. That's what the tenor and the temperature of this letter is. You're just reading it and he's like, you're doing it. The world as it is, it's dark and scary and it's full of problems and pain. Jesus could come back at any moment, take you away from all of it. You're full of all that hope. And as a result, you have so much, you're just like loving everybody. In the midst of everything you're suffering, you have the hope in Jesus, you have the free gift of his love, and you're just loving everybody. Man, bravo. You guys are crushing it. So um, can we talk about us for a second? We live in the same intersection, the same multiverse. We live in the world as it is. Is it dark, y'all? Is it scary sometimes? Do we have uncertainty and pressures and problems and stuff that we can't control? Oh yeah, we got all kinds of stuff that we have no control over that we don't like and it is not good and we don't know what to do about it. We can't fix it ourselves. We live in the midst of the world the way it is. But in the midst of that, do we have the hope of Jesus coming back to take us out of here? Yes. We do. We live in the midst of the world as it's going to be when Jesus rescues us. And we don't have any of that stuff anymore. And then, guys, do we live in the midst of the world as it should be where the believers in Jesus are famous for love? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is the problem. The world as it should be where believers in Jesus should be the most famous people in the world for loving everybody. We have an unmitigated dumpster fire. And I'm not just pointing at us in this room. What I'm saying is the, the Christian experiment, we are suffering from a public relations nightmare. Because if you ask somebody that doesn't know Jesus, one time, um, one time Lenny Kroos here said a really amazing thing. There was a group of men meeting on a Saturday morning, and he was saying, when you look at John chapter 13, you realize that the, you know, people talk about how can you know somebody's a Christian, how can you know somebody's not a Christian, how you know who's in, who's out. He said, the Lord said that the only, the only rubric that matters is what does the believer, or do, what does the unbeliever say? Like, they will know that you are my disciples by what? If you love. That's it. He says, and by the way, it's they will know. They get to say. It's the unbelievers. They get to say who's in and who's out. We actually don't have a vote on that at all, according to Jesus. How do we know who's in and who's out? Ask the unbelievers if we're loving or not. That's the rubric. Now, we've got a problem. And I'm not just pointing at you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about the whole Christian experiment. If you ask some random unbeliever, they might tell you that the Christians are the most uptight, the most judgmental, the most unkind, the, the most angry. Certainly in this country, that's the vibe we're getting. That the, the people that speak for Christians are the ones that are fighting everybody about all kinds of rights and stuff that don't have anything to do with anything Jesus ever said in this book. At all. And yet we're known as the people that are fighting about it. Some new things have come up in our, in our world, and for some reason, Christians are the last people to get on the, on the boat about that. So like, for instance, 
Um, you know, it's a, it's a newish phenomenon in our world that, you know, people might be uh, struggling with some something that they're learning about themselves or trying to figure out who they are, and maybe they're going through a time, or maybe they've just made a change where they've changed their name and they're changing their pronouns, and the Christians are like, I'm not doing it. I'm not calling them by a different name. I'm not recognizing any pronouns. Why? Why would we be those people? Why in the world would we be the people who would get hung up about what somebody who doesn't know Jesus is doing outside of just loving them? Why wouldn't I be the first person to recognize somebody's name or their pronouns or whatever else is going on with them? You know, when Jesus got in trouble with people, it's really interesting because nobody, when the Pharisees that were really mad at Jesus, the thing that they didn't say about him was, you know why we're mad at him? He awkwardly smiles at sinners. <laughs> he awkwardly and uncomfortably nods at sinners. And that's why we're super upset with Jesus. They said, here's why we're upset with him. He's a friend of sinners. He even eats with them. Wouldn't it be cool if the Christians were known as the people who say, I don't understand why some people do the things that they do or some things that I think maybe don't line up with the way I understand the scriptures and stuff like that, but I'm going to have as many, over, uh, many of them over to my house to eat as I possibly can because that's what Jesus got in trouble for. I mean, that, we live in the midst of the world as it is, which is dark and scary and uncertain and all that. And we live in the middle of the world that's as it's going to be when Jesus comes back and takes us and we've been freely forgiven for everything. We have no reason to fight anybody about anything at all, ever. And we live in the midst of the world as it should be, which is where the, the people who know Jesus should be the most gushy, mushy, loving, accepting, having people over, loving them like crazy of anybody in this world. Amen? Amen? Okay, so what do we do about it? Especially, especially if there are some people that we really do struggle to understand or we really do struggle to love or we just don't like. Like what if there are just some people in your, in your life and you just can't get along with them and maybe it's their politics or maybe it's your past or whatever it is. Well, I want to talk for a minute about this thing. Paul says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Okay, I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this all week, and I think that what we normally do in relationships where we, where we love people or where we don't is we do something that I like to call love math, okay? Now, I'm not an authority on math, but I'm gonna talk to you about math for just a second. So I need a couple of my math teacher friends to just pump the brakes, okay? <laughs> If I don't make sense, we can talk about it later. Like, th this is a true story. I, I know so little about math that when I was at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, go Vols, um, I, met with, um, I met with my um, advisor and I said, I would like for you to tell me what, uh, what academic major at this university has the least amount of math. And he said, son, I don't know if that's the best way for you to pick like your career. And I was like, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, in this scenario and in this office, do you work for me? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, like, your job is to answer my questions and set me up well. And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, I have one question. What major at this university has the least amount of math? Um, sometimes, 
Sometimes my friend Matthew Lloyd back there wears these t-shirts that have like, they're, they're math jokes on a t-shirt. It's like there's some mathematical equation and if you know math, then it's a pun somehow. And I just take his word for it. I, got no, I got no idea. I don't know what's going on there. I think that we do love math through our life. So let me explain that, okay? When you meet somebody and you start to get to know them, there, maybe there is like, there's a little bit of like, we get along well, we have a chemistry, we have maybe an attraction or, or just some things in common. And then we add that plus some shared experiences where maybe we adventured or we laughed or we went through something hard together. Plus, we have some kind of crisis in our relationship where we're upset with each other, but then we plow through and we, and we stay friends. Maybe there's some grace and forgiveness and stuff like that. Plus, a lot of time, and then guess what that equals? A loving friendship. Does that make sense? And when you look at all of that, it's like, yeah, that, the thing, I guess this is the part where the math thing made sense in my head, like, it's complicated, there's a lot of factors in it, but like, when you look at it, it makes sense. Now, to me, math doesn't make sense, so I'm out there on a limb, y'all, but, um, but to people like, you know, Froning and Charlie and Matthew, like math makes sense, it's beautiful and all that's whatever, guys, it's not beautiful, but anyway, but it makes sense. Like we add this, you know, we get along and then we have these experiences together and we go through hard times together and you put a bunch of time, this plus that plus that plus that, add it all together and that makes sense and I can see why you love each other. Or the opposite. We didn't get off on the right foot. We had some terrible experiences together. You said something that really hurt my feelings and I'm not over it. And then we put a lot of time in that bad boy. Guess what? I don't love you very much. That makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So I think one of the problems that we have with loving people that we don't love or we don't understand is we can't do the math very well. We don't know how to how to set this equation up. We can't do that function. And here's what's great about this benediction. This, this prayer of Paul, this blessing is, I think that what he's saying is, here's the key, y'all. You don't need love math. You need love magic. That's what you need. Magic. Now, I know we're Christians, so technically we don't believe in, in magic and stuff like that, even though we all loved Harry Potter and... and the, Chronicles of Narnia, there's plenty of magic in those guys. And, um, but you can call it a miracle if you need to, but I'm going to call it magic, okay? What you need is love magic. In other words, you need Jesus to just create something in you that doesn't presently exist and that you didn't have any background for and you actually can't explain. You need him to just make something poof and it, it's there inside you. There it is. And I don't know how I got here and I don't know how to make it work and I can't explain it to you. I can't show my work. You know, I can't do any of that stuff. I can't balance the equation, Miss Ellis. Like, I can't do any of that stuff. I just know that I didn't feel this, and now I do. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that place over in John chapter 6 where the disciples were with Jesus and thousands of people, and they've been there for days, and all of a sudden they realize we don't have any food, and we don't know what we're going to do. And Jesus says to Philip, hey, uh, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip's like, why are you asking me? I don't know. And John actually says that Jesus was just messing with him because he already knew what he was going to do. Which I love that verse. That's a great verse. Jesus was messing with him. Okay, and so, so Jesus says, what do y'all have? And that one little kid had like a, a sack lunch. It was like a couple of those Uncrustables and like a, and a, a couple of cans of the Starkest Tuna or whatever. And Jesus took it and he broke it and then magic. Okay, you can call it miracle since you're Christians, but like... 
He made it go to everybody and everybody ate and everybody got as much as they wanted. In fact, they got more than they wanted. And at the end of it, Jesus said, go pick up all the leftovers. And you want to know something really cool that I learned this week? When Jesus told his disciples, go pick up the leftovers, that word in the original language is the exact same word that Paul says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. Same word. May he just do just like he, may he do with your love and your heart, just like he did on that hillside when he took a boy's sack lunch and fed thousands of people out of nowhere, out of where, out of his own self, out of his miracleness, out of Jesus's power. May he do that same thing for you. What if you stop trying to heavy lift and figure out how am I going to love these difficult people in my life or these people that I don't like that are on the other side of the aisle or these people that I don't understand or I think I've got to stand up for this or stand up for that or I've got to make God famous. And You don't have to do any. He does not need your help. Okay? What if instead of trying to figure out any of that, instead of calculating, you just let him cook? Just let him cook. Let him give you something you don't have for yourself. And then you do just like the disciples did. You just hand it out. Jesus made this. I'm just handing it to you. I didn't have anything to do. with I don't know how he did it. I don't know where it came from. I'm just giving it to you. Did you get enough? Oh, you got more than enough? That's how he is. Wouldn't that be really cool? Now, um, the last little thing on this is... Uh, how do we do that? And this is the hang-up for a lot of us. And this is a hang-up for me. And, and, and um, I think for most believers in Jesus, if you're honest, this is going to be a hang-up for most of us, which is you have to get honest about the fact that you kind of hate some people. Like, you don't love everybody. You can't fool yourself into thinking, yeah, but I mean, I love everybody. I mean, you know, I love them in the Lord. Um, you can't do that. You got to go all the way down to the truth of the thing. Because some people in your life, you just love them and it's easy because you do have all the shared experiences and you have all the inside jokes and there's just things you know about them that, you know, nobody else knows. Like it, there's some people that it's easy for me to love. Like, for instance, whoever can finish this sentence, you must cut down the largest tree in the forest with a herring. We're going to be friends. And those of you that don't know what that means, see me after class. <laughs> you know, like I know, for, like one of the things that I know because we're buddies and because we've had some experiences together is that the University of Tennessee football volunteers did not lose once this year when Jeff Mason ate pizza rolls during the game. <laughs> not once. Now, why didn't we have pizza rolls against Georgia and South Carolina? That's another conversation for another day. But... I know that because we're buddies and we've had these experiences and the math works out and I can show my work. There's other people in your life, you don't have any way to work out that equation. You don't like them or you don't understand them or you don't know how you're ever going to get over that or get past that one thing. And what you need to do in that moment is you need to admit to Jesus, I don't like them. And I need you to give me something I don't have. I'm not going to Christian this. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, yeah, I love them and everything. I just, you know, no, I don't like them. One of my favorite um, people is, is an author named Anne Lamott. And she's, she was talking on a podcast I was listening to one time. And she was like, yeah, I was, I was talking to my friend. And we were talking about this other friend of ours. And she said, don't you just hate her? And my friend said, yes, I hate her. And it was like, you know what? Sometimes I just wish she would die. And you're listening to this, you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
And she said she was praying later, and she told the Lord, she was like, you know, I was kind of joking back there, but it's really true, I hate her. And she said that she heard the Lord say to her heart, you know, that's the first honest thing you've said to me in two weeks. And she said, and a couple things happened. First of all, she said, like, immediately, I didn't hate her anymore. I, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like, I just felt differently. I guess he just did it. And then she said, and then I realized that whatever part of myself where I was hating myself, I hated myself a little bit less as well. Um, I think that if we want to figure out how to live in the intersection of the world as it is, which is dark and scary and painful and we don't know what's going to happen, the world that as it will be, which is when Jesus comes to take us all away from it, I think that we can be some of the people who are living in the world as it should be when believers in Jesus really are famous, famous for loving everybody because we start with this. There's some people I don't love and I don't understand and I can't make the math work out. I need magic. I can't calculate. I need you to create. Does that make sense for you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your words. Thank you for this benediction. May we come to you with an honest heart so that you can get to work. May we let you know um, exactly where we can't do the math, where we can't make the we just can't make the equation work out. We can't make the calculation make sense and let you get to work so that you can create in us love that we don't have. It's not that we need to see people differently. It's not that we need to understand something from their past so that we can be sympathetic to what got them to this place. We just need you to make something for us that we can hand out to them for free. Lord Jesus, would you do, for the, do that for us this week? It's in your precious name we pray. You belong to a holy kindred The blood that saves us binds us too Your membership freely given The day he fell in love with you He saw you then there as a necessity Victim, 
Are you afraid he'll just salt the wound? Freely given The day he fell in love with you 